Good morning and welcome to all of you. We're glad that all of you are here with us this morning, especially uh, if it's your first time. We're glad that you're here and uh, we want to welcome you to Gateway Today's Valley. My name is Brian Dillon and I'm the campus minister here. And uh, what a week it has been uh, for VBS. Uh, this isn't what it normally looks like, but maybe sometimes it should look like more like this. You know, uh, it, uh, we highlighted how much uh, you all gave financially and we've highlighted the volunteers and Truly, this is one of those events we talk about that we couldn't pull off without immense help from our volunteers, and so you all rocked it out, and we're so thankful, whether it was just making meals or whether it was being here, whatever it looked like, uh, we couldn't do it without you, and so we thank you so much for making an impact on our kids and on our community. Uh, one of the greatest things of the week, though, maybe the greatest thing, is to hear kids walk away. All week, we were covering the life of Paul. And to hear kids walk away and know the stories that they heard from God's Word about the Apostle Paul. I mean, money is awesome, and we can bless some families with that, but the kids would walk away, they would come and hear the gospel and walk away and remember it uh, was just truly an, an awesome thing. And so uh, that's what makes VBS all worth it, is that when, when they hear the gospel and they remember it. So uh, thank you again for, for being awesome. Uh, for this week of VBS. Many years ago, Dr. Tony Campolo was teaching a class at the University of Pennsylvania, and he turned an ordinary lecture into an unforgettable lesson. He asked a student that was sitting in the front row, uh, young man, how long have you lived? And the unsuspecting student answered the way that I think most of us would answer. He said uh, he gave his age. And Dr. Campolo responded, no, 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 that's how long your heart has been pumping blood, but that's not how long you've lived. Dr. Campolo then told his class about one of his most memorable moments of his life. In 1944, his fourth grade class took a field trip to the Empire State Building, which was at the time the tallest building in the world. Nine-year-old Tony and his class, they took the elevator to the observation deck, and as he stepped off the elevator, time stood still. He said, if I live a million years, that moment will still be a part of my consciousness because I was fully alive when I lived it. Dr. Campolo then turned back to the student in the front row and asked again, young man, how long have you lived? And this time the student responded, well, when you say it that way, I don't know, maybe, maybe an hour, maybe a, a couple of minutes, maybe not even a minute. So this morning, let me ask each of you two questions. How old are you, and how long have you lived? Now, it's easy to calculate age, easier for some of us more than others, uh, but we're used to doing that. But it's much more difficult to quantify life. Why? Because time is measured in minutes, but life is measured in moments. So what are your Empire State Building moments? When was the last time that time stood still in your life? If you, were turn, if you were to turn those moments into minutes, how long would you say that you've really lived? We are in the sixth of seven weeks of our series, Win the Day, based on the book by the same name by Mark Batterson, and uh, he is a pastor in Washington, D.C. If you've missed any of the messages, you can always visit our website and go to the campus location. Each campus page, a link to the Apple Podcast page, and you can catch up on any of the messages that you might have missed. You can also subscribe to the podcast from uh, that page, and you, then the message del is delivered every week so you don't 
don't miss it. And then don't forget to join our Taze Valley Campus Life page on Facebook. That way you're keeping up on all that we have going on here at Gateway Taze Valley. And if you've missed any of the messages, or maybe you've just gotten a little bit lost, uh, thus far we have covered five habits that can help us stress less and accomplish more to help us win the day. And so they are flip the script, kiss the wave, eat the frog, fly the kite, cut the rope. And let me tell you, if you've missed them, uh, you can see you've missed a lot here. Uh, and that looks like a really confusing list. But today we're going to cover habit number six, and that is wind the clock. If you have a Bible with you this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. So you can go ahead and turn over there and we'll get there in just a few moments. Now, before we start winding the clock this morning, I want to share three thoughts about time because our goal this morning is to understand what a right relationship with time looks like. Because I think too many of us are stuck living in the wrong time zone. We are either living in the past with past tense guilt, or we're living in the future paralyzed by future tense fear. And neither one of those is a good place to be because it means that we aren't living in the here and now. You can't be fully present if you're living in the wrong time zone. Learning to live in the present isn't just a practical skill, though. It's a theological skill. If we're going to live the full life that Jesus desires for us, that Jesus died on the cross for us to have, we need to learn to live in the present. And so it really boils down to how much do you trust Jesus? Because he's forgiven your past and he's told you not to worry about the future. So let's trust Jesus enough to live in the full and the present. Okay, three thoughts about time this morning. Number one, time as a human construct. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.8, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Now that makes your brain hurt just a little bit when you read that because our brains are bound by the dimensions of space and time, but not God. See, God exists outside of space and time. With, with God, there is no past, there's no present or future. Uh, the, the prophet Daniel calls him the ancient of days in Daniel chapter 7. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God himself says in Revelation 1.8 that he is the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God is above our concept of space and time. But despite all that, we can read all that and, and see all that in the Bible, and we can try to wrap our head around it, but despite all that, we keep trying to bring God down into our time box. We want Him to live, or we want to live by our rules, and, so, and not by His. And the fact is, that's just not going to happen. And I think the sooner that we accept that, the less confusion and frustration that we're going to have. Thought number two on time, we live forward, but God is working backwards. Now, I hope you're awake this morning because we're saying some things, and the first two points have been a little like, whoa, what's happening? What, what does this mean? Well, in Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good, good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Right now, God is setting you up for successful tomorrows. The good works are, are there. They're just waiting for you to walk into them. 
God wants you to get where he wants you to go more than you want to get there. And so surrender your life and your time to him and just see where he takes you. God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, but it's according to his purpose. So that doesn't mean that only good things will happen to you, but it does mean that no matter what happens to you, he can work it for good. We have all been given free will, but many choose to use their freedom for evil instead of good. But our God is able to redeem and reclaim that evil and make it good again. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's a word in philosophy known as teleology, which means to explain something using the purpose they serve rather than the cause by which they arise. In other words, it means to begin with the end in mind. There's a line of reasoning in apologetics known as the teleological argument, which says that when we look at all the evidence of order and design in nature, we have to conclude that a grand designer exists, that God exists. Now, for us, this isn't always easy because, well, we can't see the end, but God can. Which tells me that when we have a godly purpose in our lives and in our ambitions, we will receive a blessing from God. Yes, there are certain places and situations that God wants you to be in, but sometimes He may just want to have your heart, and it doesn't matter where you end up. You know, I love the story of the Israelites from Joshua chapter 6. This, six, this is a well-known story of God telling Joshua and the Israelites, I want you to go to Jericho. I want you to march around their walls seven times on the seventh day. And you may have heard this story before. But as you were reading it, or as you read it, you might have missed what is said in verse 2 of the story. Because I have. <laughs> In Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. And you might read that and you think, okay, that's after they marched. Except all of the events, all of the marching, all, all this whole story takes place in Joshua chapter 6, which means that verse 2 is at the beginning, which means there hasn't been a step taken in the march when God says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. God is working backwards while they are living forwards. God says, look, I've already taken care of things down the way. You just need to do what I tell you to do. See, the outcome was not the result of their marching, but the result of their faith in the face of something that didn't make any sense. In your relationship with God, he may ask you to do something that doesn't make any sense. But isn't that why it's called faith? Because when things work out when they shouldn't, God gets all the glory. Thought number three on time. Everything is created twice. Everything starts out as an idea. Every action we take was once a thought in your mind to begin with. And that's why our focus verse from Philippians chapter 4 this morning is so important. Our thoughts come before our actions. So it's important that we are thinking about excellent and praiseworthy things. As a man thinks, so he is. According to the Jewish rabbinic history book, the Talmud, when God created the heavens and the earth, he made some provision for some miraculous moments that would occur throughout the course of human history. 
Now, to be clear, this isn't the Bible, but it is keeping with the character of God. According to the Talmud, during the days of creation, God commanded the Red Sea to split apart, the sun and the moon to stand still for Joshua, the ravens to feed Elijah, the fish to spit out Jonah, the fire not to burn Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the lions not to harm Daniel. Simply put, when God creates a vision, he makes a provision to see it through. And that's pretty incredible to think about because it means that when God brings you to it, when God has a vision for your life, he's going to bring you through it as well. Bring it to completion. Friends, we live at the intersection of two theologies and two realities. The faithfulness of God is pursuing us from the past, and the sovereignty of God is setting us up for the future. That's where we live, and that means that the best is yet to come. Each day is a new gift from God, a new opportunity to reach people with the life-saving truth of Jesus Christ. You know, this week, you, you saw in that, that video, that slideshow, I, I had the opportunity to get dress up a little silly and uh, give the Bible lesson each night at our VBS uh, as part of the coach talks part. And during each lesson, we followed the journey of the Apostle Paul from his conversion on the road to Damascus to the shipwreck on the island of Malta. And there was a truth that the curriculum pulled out one evening uh, that was just one line in the middle of a lesson, but it kept coming back every night after. It kept coming back to my mind. And that, that truth is that God always protects the good news. God always protects the good news. No matter what Paul went through, the good news kept being shared. And I told the kids, look, Jesus was here over 2,000 years ago, and yet here we are, we're still hearing and spreading the good news. And it's always made people so angry that if there was a way to snuff it out, I think they would have figured it out by now. But God always protects the good news. Paul lived with the full confidence in that truth. And although each situation he found himself in, or through each situation he found himself in, he always had this calm, non-anxious presence because he believed that God was going to protect the good news. It didn't matter what happened. God was going to protect the good news. didn't matter what it looked like. He was going to do it. And it's pretty amazing to see how in every sticky situation that Paul found himself in, it ended up with him telling people about Jesus. There were moments where I'm sure Paul wouldn't have chose it, yet he stayed calm, almost had a joy about him, and in the end, he was able to reach new people for Jesus in a situation he never would have been in had it not gone that way. See, God was constantly going ahead of Paul, and every time Paul was in a bad situation, Paul never complained or panicked because he knew that God was going to protect him, and he knew that this would be a chance to share the gospel. See, the truth is that sometimes we forget that God can do more in a day than we can accomplish in a thousand lifetimes. And so we have to wind the clock. All right, so you've had your Bible open to Ephesians 5.15 for a while now, and hopefully you didn't let your Bible close uh, because we're headed there now. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, this is where the aforementioned Apostle Paul, he is writing to the church at Ephesus with instructions for Christian living. And he says, starting in verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 
1977, the Russian comedian Yakov Smirnov uh, immigrated to the United States. And he was asked what he loved most about this country, and he said, American grocery stores. I'll never forget walking in for the first time. I walked down an aisle and saw powdered milk. Just add water and you get milk. I walked down another aisle and I saw powdered orange juice. Just add water and you get orange juice. And then I turned down another corner and I saw baby powder. And I thought to myself, wow, what an amazing country this is. Our society is obsessed with fast and instant. Fast internet, instant oatmeal, fast food, fast responses from people. And these are all things that we have. An expectation will be fast, and we get frustrated when they're not. We love our instant gratification for sure, but what does biblical time management look like? Well, our main point for this morning is that you don't find time, you make time. You don't find time, you make time. So you are as busy as you will let yourself be. That's why it seems like you can never have enough time. Despite a change in your situation, despite a change in your job, you are as busy as you let yourself be. All of us are allotted 1,440 minutes a day. Now, if you sleep for eight hours, that means you have 960 waking minutes. If you work 40 hours a week, that leaves you with 450 minutes every day at your disposal Monday through Friday, and then more on the weekends. And yet we complain often that there's just not enough time. I need more hours in my day. I need an eighth day of the week. You are as busy as you let yourself be. And so what do we do about that? Well, there are two things that we are going to talk about this morning to help us wind the clock. And the first is to curse the barren fig tree. And the second is to do the math. So what does it mean to curse the barren fig tree? Well, perhaps you are familiar with the story about Jesus cursing the barren fig tree. It's a fascinating moment that baffles a lot of people. It seems out of place. It's just a small section, and it doesn't really make much sense. Uh, So let's let's go there. Matthew chapter 21. uh, This is Matthew's account. It says, Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Now you read that, and you wonder, why would Jesus do that? It was out of nowhere. I mean, what did that fig tree ever do to anybody? How, how did it hurt anybody? Was, was Jesus just hangry? Uh, was he needing a Snickers? Uh, was he still upset from clearing the temple of the money changers the day before? Well, I, I think we can learn a lesson from this story about time management. See, the, the tree, the fig tree, had nothing on it except leaves. The one thing that was missing was fruit. It wasn't bearing any fruit, and so it was just taking up space. And so this morning, what are the barren fig trees in your life? What are the things that maybe should be bearing fruit, maybe have the appearance of fruit, but are just draining the resources from the areas that could be bearing actual fruit? Last week, we talked about how on average, we spend 15% of our waking hours on social media. And so whether it's social media or Netflix or Xbox or Candy Crush, what are the mindless time wasters that are keeping you from bearing fruit? 
Now, everybody's different. We all have different biological rhythms, and what works for you might not work for me, might not work for somebody else. What's a vice for you might not be a vice for somebody else. And sometimes, you know what? We just need, we can't go hard 24-7. There are times we just need to unwind with those mindless things. The problem is, like many things, we struggle with moderation. And so in order to avoid a life full of only leaves, you have to know when your most creative and productive moments of the day are and steward that time. If your most productive time is in the morning, then guard those morning hours. If your most productive time is in the afternoon, then get the other stuff done in the morning and then be ready to get after it in the afternoon. You remember the eat the frog quote from Mark Twain? Get the hard stuff done first thing in the morning so you can open up the rest of your day. If you're a night owl that gets your best work done at night, then guard those hours as well. Whatever it is, stay vigilant. Because if you aren't careful, trivial things are going to steal the best moments of your day. But one caveat to all of this. Don't let any of these things get in the way of your faith or your family. Because there's no job or side hustle in the world that's more important than Jesus, your spouse, or your family. The second thing that can help us wind the clock is to do the math. And before you write brain thinkers, start tuning me out because you think math is hard, uh, hang in there because you can do this too, okay? Doing the math boils down to this. Where does what you do count the most? Where are you getting the most return on your time? Any, anybody who follows the stock market knows that you don't invest in garbage stocks that aren't going anywhere. And your time is similar. When it comes to your time, where are you getting your biggest payoff? What are the things that you do that nobody else can do? What do you do that God made you to do? Or maybe doing the math means to figure out what you should be doing and to make sure you are giving your utmost for his highest. The ancient Greeks had two words for time, chronos and kairos. And these words are two sides of the same coin, but they're as different as heads and tails. See, chronos refers to clock time. It's where we get our word chronology. Chronology is sequential, past, present, future. If somebody would ask you to give a chronological account of things, you just go by the clock. It happened first, or this happened first, and then this happened, and then this happened after that. Managing chronos time is important, because if you don't control your calendar, your calendar will control you. But that's not the word that Paul used for time in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, the word is kairos. And kairos is a Greek word that means the right time or the opportune time or maybe the empire state building time. And so how can we manage this kind of time? How can we manage the right times and the opportune times? Well, it's not always easy, but I think we can do it. And two ways to make the most of every opportunity are, one, to steward the teachable moments. When I was a kid, the neighbor across the street from me uh, devised a plan for he and I to throw a large handful of pebbles at the next car that came up over the hill. And so with pebbles in hand, we stood on the side of the road, and boy, when that next car came over, we threw with all we had at that next car. Uh, at least I thought we did. Turns out uh, only one person did, and it was me. And he did not. And uh, apparently it was a joke, an inside joke, that he was the only one that was in on it. 
And it also turns out that the driver of the car was not very pleased, as you imagine, with our little plan. And immediately, the brake lights came on, and immediately, we ran. <laughs> and that's kind of the last I know of what happened. I, I ran home eventually after hiding for a few minutes. I ran home. I know the driver got out of the car, and I know my parents found out. <laughs> but where I expected the dreaded yardstick to make an appearance out of the closet... Grace was instead afforded. And here we are 30 years later, and I've never forgotten crying in my room that day thinking I was going to get it. And then all that happened was my dad turned it into a teachable moment. Jesus was the master of teachable moments like that. When the woman was caught in the act of adultery, everybody expected Jesus to come down on her hard. Oh yeah, she's going to get it. Yet he offered grace instead. Or woman, the woman broke the alabaster jar of perfume and, and poured it on his feet. Man, Judas was so upset and said, oh, we could have sold that perfume and, and fed the poor. Jesus said, it's okay. What she has done for me will go down in history. But what he did for her was beyond words, something I'm sure that she never forgot. Like Jesus, when we offer grace, when the world expects justice, we stand out in the best way. Let God take care of the justice while we go on loving and forgiving as Christ did. Number two is accumulate experiences. Another story. When I was in the fifth grade, something, I did something, something happened that I hope uh, won't cause you to see me uh, differently this morning. You see, there was a countywide essay contest put on by the sheriff's department and I entered it because first prize was a brand new Huffy bike. And what fifth grade boy doesn't want a brand new Huffy, right? I had learned of the contest from school, uh, but when I told my parents about my need to write an essay, I guess I didn't differentiate that it wasn't just regular homework, it was for a contest. And then on top of that, it was one of those, parents, you know this, uh, it's one of those, oh yeah, and it's due tomorrow moments. And so my dad is a good dad, and so he uh, helped me with the essay rather substantially. In fact, you could say he mostly wrote the essay. And I got to say, he did a really fantastic job, and I loved that new Huffy bike. I mean, uh, I mean he tried to ride it, but it was too small for him. And uh, you know, in reality, that was just a normal Huffy bike that I rode for a few years, then I outgrew. But it wasn't the bike that I remember the most. It was the experience that came out of it. And so I guess what I'm saying this morning, if you want to create an experience for your kids, just write an essay for them so they can win a new Huffy bike. Now, what I'm really saying is, you know, it wasn't the possession. It wasn't the thing that I won that, that I remember. It was the experience. And it's going to be the same for you. It's, maybe you have your own experiences where it wasn't something, the item that you got for Christmas. It was the excitement that you felt or that, that somebody would do that for you. It wasn't the, the actual vacation. It was the experience on vacation. You know, I, I remember my family didn't have much money growing up, and so vacations to the beach or big vacations were never, we never went to Disney. You know, we never, but it's never a big part for us. But we did love the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. And so our biggest vacation that we ever took in my lifetime was out to St. Louis to watch a few games. But what I remember the most about that 
is, uh, is the gateway arch, it, it, the, the experience of going up in this huge monument. And uh, the Walker family that's part of, members here at Gateway, they're there right now. I saw pictures of them going up in the arch yesterday, and it took them right back. I don't know if you've ever been in the arch, uh, but some of you would hate it. Uh, you have to get in this very, very small uh, elevator uh, that will give you claustrophobia like that. But you have to ride up slowly in it. And depending on your level of claustrophobia, this could be a good experience or a bad experience. But uh, you go up, and then you get up there, and really it's just like a tiny compartment with like foggy little airplane windows. But <laughs> you have the experience, right? That, and so in the end, it wasn't the amount of money spent on the vacation. It wasn't that we did these big extravagant things. It was the little things, the experience of doing that with my family. Mark Batterson tells of an experience that he had in Africa that caused him to jot down the phrase, accumulate experiences, not possessions. Boy, is there such wisdom there. Now, I think there might be a few parents here this morning that let out a silent amen to that phrase. Because from birth, we give our kids toys upon toys upon toys, all with one destination, the garbage. Even the toys that last don't really last because our kids are so fickle that they forget about a toy if they haven't seen it in two weeks. But the trips to Disney or to the beach or just to Mimi and Papa's for the week or just going out to the end of the driveway for the ice cream truck, see, they'll hold on to those for years, if not forever. The same principle goes for us as adults. A three-car garage, an overflowing closet, an 85-inch TV... All of those will leave you empty if you choose possessions over experiences. And so let's work to, wake, work to make our life more memorable than it is plentiful. Now, this is probably going to come across as a shameless plug, but I really do believe it. The greatest experiences that you will accumulate are the experiences you have while serving Jesus. Experiences like seeing families raise over $6,000 in one night at VBS after we were afraid we wouldn't make it to $5,000 for the week. Experiences like trying to build a house on a mission trip, but you lose two days because of rain. Man, things are looking bleak. But God, but God goes to work and you still finish on time. You still get to hand over the keys to the family at the end of the week. See, when we serve Jesus and his people, we give, when we give our utmost for his highest, we put ourselves in the position to see some of God's greatest work. So this morning, let me ask you again, how long have you lived? Jesus came so that we may have life to the full, so that we could truly live. He came so that we could make the most of every opportunity, so that we could forget the past and not worry about the future. And so when we live in the present, it allows us to love others the way that Jesus loved us because we are giving them our full attention. We don't have to worry about the past anymore and the guilt that comes with that. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. We can focus on the opportunities that God is presenting us today to tell other people about his son Jesus. What are the situations that if we pay more attention to where we could show God through it, what are the situations that if we were living in the present, we could take a better advantage of? Every situation that presents itself. When we look at the life of Paul, he was thrown in jail, yet he saw it as an opportunity to teach people about Jesus. He gets shipwrecked on an island. He gets bit by a snake. 
Yet he turns it into an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And so there are going to be moments in our life that if we're living in the present, in the full, we can use those opportunities to tell people about Jesus. We can stop worrying about the past because it's already been paid. We can start wor- stop worrying about the future because he said, don't worry about it. We'll get to that later. I've already taken care of it. I defeated death. So anything that comes, I've overcome. When we live in the present, it allows us to love God because we are thankful our past has been forgiven and our future is under his care. And so this morning, let's wind the clock and start living in the right time zone. Let's live in the present so we can make the most of every opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the love that you have for us and the grace that has been afforded through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. It all comes back to the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that our sins could be forgiven, and that on the third day he rose again so that we would know that he has overcome the world. And so whether we're stuck in our past and the guilt that comes with that, we can know that every sin has been forgiven for every person for the world, for you love the whole world so much that you sent Jesus that our past would be forgiven for each person. So we wouldn't have to worry about the guilt. We wouldn't have to live in the past anymore. We can live in the present. We don't have to worry about the future anymore because we know that Jesus has overcome the world. He has defeated death. So whatever comes our way, we can face it with the joy knowing that this is not my destination. So Father, this morning, I, I just, I pray that Wherever we're at, whether we're living too much in our past or we're worrying too much about the future, I pray that you would bring us back to the present. That we would love those that are around us, that we would try to make the most of every opportunity. See where you want us to be in every opportunity. See how we can bring it back to you and and that we would stay focused on you in the present. Father God, we are so thankful that you sent your son Jesus to die for each one of us, that we don't have to worry about these things anymore. So Father, as we go from this place, I just pray that we would remain focused on you and in the here and now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've never given your life over to Christ, there's no better day than today to do that because there's no more important decision you could ever make. When we make Jesus, the Lord and the King of our lives, when we accept Him as our Savior, our sins are washed away and we are given the hope of eternal life that we would not perish, but we would get to spend eternity with with our Father and His Son, Jesus. But the problem is, Jesus Himself says, I'm the only way. I'm the only way to have that hope. And the world will tell us there's a lot of ways to have success. There's a lot of ways to, to experience that eternal life. There's a lot of options. Jesus says, I'm it. And so if you've never given your life over to him, and I hope you'll come forward and make that decision this morning. We've already got one baptism we're going to celebrate here in just a little bit. I can't wait. I would love to make it to three or whatever it looks like. There's no better day than today. If you have a decision to make, I'll be down front. If you just need prayer this morning, if you've already made a decision or you just need prayer, I I would love to pray with you. It can be hard to see where God stands in a lot of situations. It can be hard to see Jesus through the storm sometimes. 
but know that he's there. So we don't fight with earthly weapons, but we, have, we take these head on with the greatest weapon, and that's prayer. And so I'd love to pray with you this morning, whether it's something going on in your life or a loved one, I'd love to pray with you. Maybe it's not right now. Maybe it's after the service. Or maybe it's sometime during the week. Or maybe you want to scan our QR code and fill out the information card and send a a prayer request in that way. We pray over those. We truly do pray over those every week as a staff because we truly believe that's the ultimate weapon. Sometimes the prayer is the only way out. Most of the time, we just don't look that way. So if you need to make a decision or you need prayer this morning, I'll be right down front. I'd like to talk to you. I just ask that you all stand and sing our final song together.